only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, and that is on page 1011 of your pew Bible. Starting with verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we must have your wisdom. We must have your spirit. We must have your blessing upon what we do so that, Lord, we ourselves will not be hearers of the word only, but but doers of this word. Bless us, Lord, that we may indeed walk in this law of liberty, that we may indeed fold ourselves within this perfect law. And Lord, that we will embrace it, that it will give us life, that we will submit to the precious gospel, the word of truth, and it will flourish in us and affect every way that we live. We pray it for your glory and honor. Amen. Uh, this text uh, is about the Word, as I've in, entitled it, uh, that getting real with the Word of God. The first part, uh, verses eight, uh, 19 through 21, basically, this is what stands in the way of our getting into the Word. This is what uh, unhinges us from the Word or dis. Uh, brings us into a condition or keeps us in a condition where we don't receive that word. And then he talks about the engagement with that word in the next verses and then ends with what should flow from that word. So what inhibits this word, uh, getting into the word itself, and then what should flow from this word is more or less the, the feel of this passage. I'll just remind you that this still is in the context of trials. He began this whole chapter with 
the situation of finding yourself in trials in verse 2. And that whole section ends in verse 12 uh, when he talks about the blessedness of remaining steadfast in trial. Then after that, he uses the same word trial, but he turns it some and talks about it in terms of personal temptation. And how in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, we must never think that God is on the side of sin or that God can be blamed for the sin that we have in the midst of trial. No, rather, God is the one who is always pouring out rich, good things to bring about obedience and life in us, especially the Word itself, as he ends in verse 18. He, he even, we're even here because He brought us forth by this Word. And so He is not ever going to be on the side of drawing us to sin, creating some situation for us purposely to draw us into sin in any way. He is always working in every way, especially in His Word, to draw us after His will. And right on the heels of saying... Uh, talking about this perfect word, he says, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. So this, in the first place, is not referring to being quick to listen to one another, though that is part of the Jewish background for this. But in the first place, he's uh, talking about being quick to hear this word. And the flow of this passage will still be all about how we live out trials and the central place of the Word in the midst of our trials. So, quick to hear, and he immediately goes to a subject of anger, too, that on the one hand is is quite prevalent in the midst of pressure and trial and difficulty, right? Anger, you know, we, we can always point to some circumstance that caused us to be angry, the pressure that we have, the difficulties that we face, the, 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 the frustration that uh, erupts in anger so many times, the conflict that creates anger. Uh, so this is a, a great subject to deal with in the midst of trials. And he's going to play off of this and talk about the central place of the Word in helping us live out our new life in God. Now, this idea of being quick to hear, though, particularly uh, about the Word of God. In fact, it's interesting, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, go together. So that those who are quick to hear the Word are likely those who will not be quick to anger. Let's just talk about how those would go together. So, to be quick to hear the Word is to be... uh, eager to hear that word, to really listen to that word, to really take it in, not quick to excuse yourself or justify yourself or answer back or add to or take away from it. Just listen to it. Just listen. Take it in. Really get it. Really get into it. Really submit to it. And that's why he would say, It's with meekness or in the context of meekness that we would receive the implanted word. In the context of submission, in the context of humility, that we would eagerly take the word in. 
to be thinking, I must have this word. I do not have the answers. I need wisdom. I need instruction. I need to know God. I need to know God's will. I don't have any capacity for good apart from this word. As God says in Isaiah 66, I dwell in heaven and earth is my footstool. He says, what house could you ever build for me? What's the place of my rest? Uh, I've made all of these things. They cannot contain me. Nonetheless, this is who I will dwell with. This is the one I will look to, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We see the person, as we're going to see, who is quick to speak and quick to be angry is not the, that does not generate the kind of attitude that is receptive of the word of god not the kind of attitude that is humble and broken and trembles before the word of god now he's only trembling in anger that people are not listening to him not that he wants to listen to god and submit to god and this kind of attitude toward the word uh, would show itself in your attitude toward others then See, a brokenness and a reception, humility before the word shows itself in a brokenness and humility toward others that leans in toward being slow uh, to speak and slow to anger. Now, slow to speak has these two references in Jewish background. Slow to speak toward the word and instruction, that's used in Jewish teaching, and also in speaking back to others. Quick to answer back, quick to put forth your opinion, quick to engage emotionally. And soon, of course, your opinion becomes more important than the person does. That's the problem. In my opinion, and the fact that I'm right, and the fact that you're not listening to me, and the fact that you're going against me, begins to get me going, of course. When they don't see it your way, then anger kicks in. And actually, if even though we wouldn't do it, some cases we, would, we didn't, wouldn't hurt them physically, we want to hurt that person with our words. You know. We want to attack them with our words. Because our opinion... What we think is right has become more important than this person. And really what the issue is, I've become more important than this person. I'm the center of my universe at that point, not you. And you're in my way and you're going to pay for it. That's the opposite of this willing, submissive, broken attitude toward the word of God. Receiving the implanted word with, with meekness, you see. And so it's my ideas, it's my will, it's my insight, it's my view that's the critical issue. And it's interesting that in verse 26, he says, you don't bridle your tongue, but deceive your heart. See, I deceive my heart into thinking that my rightness means everything at this point, you know. And I've deceived my heart. I don't see the reality that I'm trampling over someone. I'm hurting someone. Or if I see it, I don't care anymore. I'm deceiving myself. Also, many cases, this happens in the name of doing the right thing or claiming the right thing or speaking for Christianity or speaking for truth. Proverbs 18, 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Yikes. Okay, not listening, not hearing, just getting the opinion out there. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more. There's more hope for a fool than for him. You know, fool is pretty low in Proverbs. 
and says, if you're hasty in your words, Jordan, you're more foolish than a fool. No, you're below a fool if your words are hasty. And so at that point, this person, their rights, their dignity, their feelings, their opinions, they shrink to nothing. And at this point, I become everything in the universe. (laughs) And the universe is going to pay with my anger. Anger really is a a function of my self-worship. And so I'm deceiving myself. I'm deceiving myself into thinking I'm doing the right thing when I'm... Not, as he says here, it does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not accomplish doing right and good for others. That's the righteousness or justice of God. It does not accomplish that righteousness, even though at the point you think, I'm accomplishing righteousness. You know, I've got every right to be, you know, these kinds of things. And that's why putting these things away can only be done in meekness. The, actually, the way this phrase reads is, Therefore, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness in meekness, receive the word. Okay? So meekness is part of that phrase. How do you put away filthiness and rampant wickedness? You put it away in meekness, by humility, by brokenness, by understanding what you are before God and your need of God's grace, uh, what, how you have sinned against Him. Um. And this, this, uh, and it, so it, it creates the condition of receiving that word. That in meekness, in, in putting away these things, this total resistant attitude toward God's authority and God's grace, only then can I receive His word. And even in contending for the truth, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Okay, He's actually receiving and enduring evil done to him, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Same word as meekness here. So you're contending for the truth. Their opponents, they're even doing evil against you. How do you correct them? With gentleness. With gentleness. Yeah, but I'm speaking for the truth, you know, with gentleness, with gentleness. First Peter 3.15, when they ask about the hope that is in you and you give them a reason for the hope that is in you, you do so, he says, with gentleness and respect. The word is phobos, it's fear, it's, it's honor, reverence even. There's a sense of honor and reverence and uh Uh, respect to this person and gentleness toward this person whom you're engaging to talk about the reason that you trust in Jesus, who is the meek one, right? You see how the message wouldn't quite get through (laughs) when you're speaking of Jesus who claimed to be the meek one who came on the donkey, it says in in Zechariah and fulfilled in Matthew 21, he comes on a foal meek and you're going to communicate it with anger. Not quite the way it needs to be done, right? And again, in Galatians 6, he says, if anyone's caught in a transgression, restore them with gentleness. Yeah, they've done wrong. They've, they've maybe blown it in some significant ways. And they need to be restored with gentleness, Paul says. In fact, in Titus 3, he says, in a broad sweep, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, 
be gentle. There's a different word for this. So here's a double portion. And then he says to show perfect courtesy or perfect meekness toward all people. Show all meekness toward every person. And avoid quarreling and fighting and speaking evil of others. And this is interesting in Titus 3. He says, here's the reason. Here's the reason why we treat every person that way. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us. That's at the heart of this. Why do we treat people with that kind of honor and respect and gentleness? Because we know where we've come from. We know what we would be apart from His grace. We know that they're no different than us. And so we show this humility and brokenness, this continued submission to God's Word and God's authority. Now, this is... uh, this is so natural for us, though, right? It, it, it's called in Galatians 5, the work of the flesh, the work by nature. This is what we're like. We tend to implode. We tend to make ourselves the center of the universe. Uh, it's, it's like Proverbs 23. Every fool will be quarreling. <laughs> anybody can quarrel. It'll separate you from anybody. You just join the fools, Darwin, when you enter into quarreling and strife and, and uh, angry words. This, this anybody, but it's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and this word is used there. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and self-control. That's encouraging. The Holy Spirit comes and takes hold of us and brings in our lives the very character of God Himself because we read again and again in the Old Testament that God is slow to God Himself is slow to anger? Yeah, but I'm going to be quick to anger. Oh, okay. You're above God somehow, Darwin. God doesn't have to be slow, quick to anger, but you're going to be quick to anger. And, of course, the self-deception and the pain that anger causes, uh, the sense of being strong when we do this, and yet Proverbs says, a man without self-control... Proverbs 25, 28, is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's what a man without self-control is. He's not strong. He's like a city that has no walls. Or Proverbs 16, 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You want to know the great men of the world, the great victors of the world, the mighty commanders? Uh, They're the men who uh, exercise self-control. They're the men who love and and tenderly care for those around them in their strength. And here's one to think about along these lines. Proverbs 22 says, Make no friendship with the man given to anger, nor go with the wrathful man. Proverbs 22, 24. In in other words, stay away from these kinds of people because they're personally destructive they're uneven, they're unpredictable, they're unsteady, they're going to be exploding in your face, and then they're going to get you into trouble by association. They're going to pull you also into their anger so that you may become more and more like them and be influenced by that person. But then 
guys, you have to ask the question, what if she's married to you? What then? Like, you know, if I was just on the street, I would run from you. I'd stay away from you. But I'm living with you. I'm living with you. What do I do? Where where am I to go? And that's why Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Interesting. It's that that thing of being harsh, mean-spirited. The idea is embittered against them. There, there can sink into a man a settled shortness and sullenness. And, and I would even include in that a lack of excitement. There's not the happy, glad, tender, caring, responses, responsive, a, a, a gentle attentiveness and interest and delight. That's what a woman needs, right? And we all fail in so many ways at this. But he's saying, love them, don't have a harshness, don't have this edge, don't have this sullenness, certainly don't have angry words against them. And then if you do, that they would never be apologized for, there would never be brokenness and tears over how you treated her. But it just goes on and on. Don't be harsh with them. But this, again, It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's be saved by Christ. Be saved by His Spirit. Trust Him to give you this fruit. Even as Jesus said in Matthew 11, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart. Then you'll find rest for your souls. You take my yoke upon you and become conformed to my meekness uh, and my lowliness, my humility. Then you will find rest for yourself because that's what a human being is made to be, to be strong in their servanthood to others. Uh, Dan McCartney in his commentary says, this does not mean that we exhibit, it coins a word, coins a word, doormatness, okay? It doesn't mean that we're doormats. In fact, there is a strength and a firmness in a person's life to stand up for truth and to stand up for what's right with that comes along, interestingly, and sometimes it seems paradoxically with this kind of quietness. Perhaps that's why Proverbs speaks of this, that a soft answer turns away wrath, you see. Or later in 25.15 it says, a soft tongue will break the bone." That there's not only peace that's created, but persuasiveness with quietness that influences others and that brings about the righteousness of God that anger does not. Now, of course, if our anger was always about, for instance, if there was a healthy, rich anger in our lives because children are being killed, that's one thing. Because... Children throughout the world, to the tune of maybe three million adults and children, are being used and abused sexually. Now, now that's something to get angry about. But I dare say for most of us, we've gotten angry at the car that pulled in front of us, not angry that three million people are in sexual slavery. But see, God can bring this about in our lives. He can bring about by His Spirit this sense of true gentleness and, and, and anger at the things for which we should be anger, angry. And notice how this plays into then 
the receiving of this word, putting away this, what he calls, filthiness and rampant wickedness. And by the way, brothers and sisters, this isn't talking about conversion here. This is talking about people who are believers. And James assumes that there can still be, in many cases, rampant wickedness within us. Doesn't mean you're not a believer, but don't get comfortable with it. Always be on the defense against it and putting these things to death. Put away all this filthiness and rampant wickedness that can take over your life, that can own you at any given point in your life. Put these things away. It is warfare. And notice the emphasis as he uh, comes to the word that you're to be word doers. That's really a good translation. Word doers and not just word hearers who, again, deceive yourselves. Same word as he has down in verse 26. We deceive ourselves into thinking, if I know it, I got it. Right? If I know more of it, I've got more of it. And as long as I've learned the truth or learned about Jesus or learned the things about God, learn what he says to do, I'm familiar with all that. In many cases, too, our familiarity and our resistance of the word because we know it is an indication that we're not really word doers, but word hearers. And he says, it's like somebody looking in a mirror. And it's a little hard for us to understand, but see, their mirrors weren't that good. They were polished metal and sometimes pretty blurred, and not many people had them. So you might not see yourself that often like we see ourselves every day, you know. Uh, and so there's this idea of you forget what you look like. Now, I have the experience that when I look in the mirror, I've kind of gotten used to the way I look, you know, in a mirror, mirror. And then when I'll be opening my computer, I think I've mentioned this before, and I see this reflection, this close-up reflection of this old, decrepit man. And I'm like, what? Who is that? You know, you know, looking around. And it's, it's kind of this sense of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not 30. I'm not 30. Yeah, I'm 60. That's right. Uh, you know, it's like I forgot who I was. I forgot just how old I am. And you, sometimes you see pictures or little films of yourself and you just think, oh, oh. So you forget yourself. You forget what you really are like. But you see, he's using this to say we must look into his law. And the, the, the perfect law means the completed law. He may even be referring here to the law as fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The law as it's been filled in Messiah. And he's certainly speaking of the law in the same way, or it means the same thing to him as the word implanted in verse 19 or the word of truth in verse 18. And now he's just looking at it in terms of its sense of command. But it's, he's not losing the whole sense of this word that's given by a living God. It's a living word and we're in a relationship with this God. And in that relationship... It becomes a law of liberty, a word that sets us free and enables us to persevere. As early in verse 12, he says, we must persevere under trial. And so it, we persevere by living out this precious word and not being just hearers, but doers. And he says, this is the blessing. This is where blessing is. And think how much that is like verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed, steadfast. Here, 
persevering, continuing to obey, and blessedness. Jesus says the same thing in the four soils because he says the last soil that is blessed, he continues and perseveres in that word. And that's a great difficulty, and that, but that's what God brings about in our lives where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It means that we will be constantly looking into this word, a constant attitude by his grace of receiving with meekness and brokenness, seeing our own helplessness, our own sinfulness, and coming to him realizing this word cleanses, it reconstructs me, it changes me, it gives me life because it gives me communion with God. And it's all in the context of what Christ has done for me that I am rescued from my sin. I'm forgiven and accepted by God. And in the context of that relationship, I can seek Him in His Word and and know the power and strength of that Word. But as you come to preaching, you come to your quiet time, always be thinking, I'm a Word doer. I'm a Word doer. I'm a Word doer. I'm a Word doer. That's why I'm coming, to be a word doer, to do whatever is said, to to live it out, to think it, to speak it, to, to do it. That's where the richness of life is, you see. Both now and he's probably looking to the future, that final blessing of God in judgment day. But the blessing here, the richness of of seeing your life affect people more and more for good, to affect your family more and more for good, as the Word takes on its features in you and you become not one who is uh, uh, quick to speak and quick to anger, but you become one, for instance, who's slow to anger. And you become one who bridles his tongue, bridles her tongue. And you become more and more this sweet blessing from God. And then he doesn't end with applying the word just to avoid doing wrong to people. But then he says, and along the same lines, uh, let's talk about doing good to others, visiting orphans and widows. Uh, the word visit is the word we get episcopal or, or overseeing, uh, visiting, going to benefit and, and pour yourself out for the needs of others. And he names as you know, representatives of this, orphans and widows. And you see, he's saying this along the same lines that true religion will show itself in how you will hurt people less and less and do more and more good. True religion shows itself that you cannot ignore the needs of those around you, but you'll be spending yourself for those who are in need. And it, it tends to flow from people. It doesn't mean that we don't have to decide and choose and, and give ourselves to those things, but, but God brings about this with, uh, by His Word as we practice this Word, as we do this Word. So not only are we not deceiving ourselves, but in humility and brokenness receiving this Word and then avoiding hurting others with our words and our anger, but then in a positive way, we are pouring ourselves out for those who, who are needy. And I think keeping one in, oneself unstained by the world means in these two particular ways, don't join into the world's unbridled tongue and don't join into the world's uh, ignoring orphans and widows. Keep yourself unstained from those things and live according to this word. Let me just close by drawing your attention to Colossians 3 where Paul says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
And here's the, as God has initiated this relationship in you, he says, uh, have compassionate hearts, uh, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness. And then notice this series, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. There's a great lineup, right? Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. But here's the real base of it all. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And that's the root of our treating one another in new ways, is that we're tasting of the forgiveness of God. We understand the extent to which we need forgiveness. We are amazed that He will comp- has accomplished that forgiveness with His own suffering. And, and this becomes more and more precious to us as we bring our sin to Him day by day and we experience the kiss of His acceptance and embrace and love in our hearts. And this in turn enables us with more and more humility, meekness, patience, and forbearance. So our worship of God and our honor and trust in Jesus Christ has everything to do with the way we treat one another. It's a do-or-die situation. Worship and love and trust Him, and only then will you become the person of love and benefit to others that God would call you to. By His grace, trust in Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank You for the great work of Jesus Christ to bring us from darkness into His light, to transform us from those, as Paul had described in Titus, who were bent upon ourselves more and more to be people who are humble and meek, and devoted to the good of others in servanthood. Lord, we have so far to go. And yet in the midst of it, we are accepted by you. In the midst of it, we know your forgiveness, and we trust that your Spirit will continue this great work. And we know, Lord, that this great work is accomplished as we come to your Word. Make us men and women, boys and girls of your Word, hungry for your Word, thirsty for your Word, dependent on your Word, pushing anything aside that would stand in the way of our taking in that Word. And there's a beginning part, O Lord, and then make us when we come to that Word, not to just be stuffing our heads with knowledge, but as we do see the glory of Jesus, we do see the mighty acts of God throughout the Scripture, that then we will live out this new life in Christ, that we will live out your salvation, that we will be doers of this Word. Oh, Lord, may our, our lives be conformed to this, this perfect law of liberty. Show us what it means to be set free by walking in this Word. Bless us, Lord, and we thank You that this Word is even now implanted in us. As You say in Your new covenant, that You will put Your Word in our hearts And so this word that we seek to come to is even implanted. There is hope that we will obey it from the inside out. There is hope that we can conform our lives to it because it is the implanted word. It is not foreign to us. It is close to us, near to us, that we might do it. Oh, Lord, give us grace and your mighty salvation to live out your word in holy new ways. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded over.
for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?